0: Welcome to another round of life sparring. In the blue corner, needing just 10 kilometers on the trail to smell like a big dog, from Hong Kong, your host, Fabian Gruber. In the red corner, back for running that through some Old Man's Backyard in Tennessee, chasing the top dogs of the trial running circle, from Albor, Denmark, Morten Klingenberg. sparring round 16. Let's go.
1: Okay, welcome to Last Sparring. Today I have another international guest about whom I'm very excited. I've got Morten Gringenberg from Aalborg in Denmark. We had Sweden now, we have Denmark, Germany, Switzerland. Pretty excited. And I think today it's going to be very obvious. It's not a well-kept secret that this whole Lifesparring podcast is actually just kind of a front for me to talk to people that I'm interested in. And the podcast is just a byproduct. So today that becomes pretty um, obvious because I'm I'm fanboying a bit out tonight. Because Morten is, is a guy who just flew around the world to run in some old man's backyard for uh, a, few, a few 30 hours in a race that actually didn't have a finish. What's in runner circles called a DNF because he didn't finish the race. But I think he feels uh, quite good about it, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's actually quite funny knowing that you've been running for like 31 hours and covering 200 plus kilometers. And well, all you get is like, yeah, well, you didn't finish.
1: <laughs> but I mean, even if you would win that race, all you get is, is a handshake and and bragging rights, right? So it's, it's yeah. not uh, a gold coveted race by any means it's, and that's also what makes it uh, so crazy. So yes, I, I was one of those, those, I think, I think at a peak time, it was around 2000 people who were like following the race on the Facebook live stream. And I think it's it's a crazy race format. So we are talking here about uh, Big Dog's uh, Backyard Ultra Challenge. It's, it's a race organized and created by the, the most legendary figure in uh, trail running, a guy called Lazarus Lake, which is not his real name because he's terribly... Afraid of getting his identity stolen. At least that's what he says. Um, Most likely it's also just part of the spiel. Yeah. And it's a race that literally happens in his backyard and it's laps in his backyard. It's maybe you can explain the format. I mean, you, for sure you memorize the rules well and and you organize your very own version of the race.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the whole backyard concept is basically that you do, I think it's 4.1 mile. The equivalent is uh, 6.7 kilometers. And you do that every hour on the hour. so every time there's another uh, loop starting, you have to be in your starting core, and then you do the loop and then you got a bit of rest if you do like run it in like 15 minutes, you got like this 10 minutes of a break period, so you can uh, go to the toilet, get something to eat catch a bit of small sleep or anything, and then you back at it and you just keep going and going and going until there's only one man or woman standing left at the end so it's actually quite simple and when you speak about it it sounds rather easy and and it is and Lazarus is is quoted for for a great quote, quote saying it's easy until it's not and that's really sums up the whole thing it's it really is easy but at some point it stops being easy anymore
1: and it's fascinating because it kind of puts the noble concept of racing on its top right because yeah not the fastest runner is winning so being fast can give you an advantage to some extent because you have more rest time, but at the same time, being fast might also just wear you out. And I mean, a lot of the top runners, they were starting out relatively slow and there were like some runners that well, regularly clocked the fastest times and uh, at the end, they were not in the top five. So it's that's a fascinating concept too, right? It's not, you're not sprinting, there's no sprint to the finish line, it's just moving yourself every hour back to the starting line and and getting out there. And and that's what what's also said about the race, right? That the hardest meters are not the ones on the trail, but the ones uh, from the chair to the starting line when the, yeah. the whistle is going. Before we talk more about Biggs, I think we should back it up a little bit and explore a little bit how you made it to Bell Buckle, Tennessee, to this uh, old man's backyard. You haven't been running all your life, right? I mean, if I look at your CV, you, you seem to be for large parts of your life, more interested in video games and computer technology. So how did that transformation happen? How did you end up in Tennessee?
0: Yeah, it's rather funny when you look back at it now. So a lot of years ago, they came out this this computer game called uh, World of Warcraft. I'm sure most of the people would know it by now, and it really caught on to me. I was playing like 40, 15 hours a week, and I was also not all that interested in doing any education and I was actually unemployed at some time. And then I was just playing computer games and it was perfectly fine, I thought. And then one day I was like looking in the mirror, I was like, well, this is not really how I w- would like to look and write, I'd like to present myself. So I started doing short jobs and I really just did that for quite a few years, actually. No goals of actually becoming a runner or doing, and it was just a matter of keeping just a tiny bit in shape, right? But then eventually I caught on, it caught on to me and then I started doing half marathons I was like... Yeah. At one point I was saying, I'm never, ever going to wrong half a marathon. It, it's just crazy far to be running, right? And then eventually it caught on to me. And I was like, oh, well, okay, listen, let me try it. And it's, I did horrible. Or at least it felt horrible for half of it. And then eventually I was like, oh, well, this isn't, isn't too bad. And then it caught on to doing a marathon. And then after doing a marathon, I felt like I was Superman. I was, I mean, I could do anything because I finished a marathon. And then at one point I found out there. There was actually people running even further than marathon, and I was like, "Well, that's just stupid. Let me try that and see what happens." And I've been doing ultra marathons for a few years. I did my first marathon in uh, twenty sixteen, and did my first ultra in twenty seventeen. And then quite early on, I I figure out that ultra marathon speaks to me in a, on another level that of just doing a fast half marathon or fast marathon, I'm not a fast runner at all. I mean, I'm, I didn't, not have been climbing some quite decent times by recreational raw standard, but I'm not anywhere near elite or anything. And, and I'm not really motivated on doing a lot of very hard training just to earn like yeah, 10 seconds in a race or a minute in a race. So I, I started doing these uh, types of ultra running and I was like, oh, well, this is, this is different because it's not a matter of going. Anywhere super fast, it's a matter of uh, overcoming your mind and overcoming the, the negative thoughts and 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 also as a means to seek wherein, where is my boundaries, one of my limits, and also to get confirmed right in a lot of time. It's a matter of getting it debunked so my limits isn't where I thought they were. Okay, I can actually do more. So that really caught on to me. And then back in 2019... The first backyard race was held in Denmark here, and I was scrolling down. I've just just gotten divorced and I was feeling quite miserable, really. And so I was just uh, doom scrolling on Facebook and then I saw this race. I was like, oh, well, that sounds just quite stupid enough for me to try this out. (laughs) So, So I did that and I was like, well, this is actually kind of fun because it's not a matter of going fast. And it's not a matter of covering a certain amount of distance. You just have to keep going. So it's a lot of mind game going on. So I did the that I did the first in Denmark and I came back last year as well, did that as well. And that really didn't go well. And for 2021, I was like, well, so I'm going all in now. So I was really prepared. This was my main goal for the year. And so in August uh, we did the race and That the whole concept up until now has been that whoever wins this race will get a golden ticket, which basically means you're invited to go to Tennessee to participate. So I was like, well, there's only everybody else needs to stop before me because I have to be the last one standing. Mm -hmm. So I got into the race with that mentality. I was like, well, there's two things I need to do here. I'm going to have a lot of fun and I'm just going to keep going. And eventually, it, it ended up that way after 39 hours, which is the equivalent of 261 kilometers. I was actually the last one standing, and it was just very surreal, just standing there and actually being, and knowing that, well, now I got this golden coin, which represents the entry to the big dogs, and knowing that I would be leaving in two months' time or be participating in this race in two months later. And and everything being corona times and everything, it's, there's been a lot of hassle actually making it to Tennessee because, well, there's a lot of restrictions going on in the world. And unfortunately the U.S. has some rules stating that you are not allowed to enter the United States if you have been in Denmark, for instance. And as I live in Denmark, I really needed to be going out of Denmark to be anywhere else of Denmark for forcing days prior to a race
1: that's still a bit better than if you would come to hong kong because in hong kong you would have to go for a 3 weeks hotel quarantine which would be probably the worst race preparation that you could uh, do yeah. i mean at least you're well rested and tapered but uh, it yeah. would be a, it would be a rough one
0: yeah so so we actually ended up doing the doing the third party uh, third country uh, way into the us so we flew to canada and we spent 14 days in Canada and then we into the unit. So in that sense, we have this, what I call a uh, Danish quarantine. So we were supposed to be quarantine anywhere but put in Denmark. But of course, we were able to move around and, and, and visit a lot of lovely places in Canada.
1: So so, how do you prepare for a race um, like this? You didn't have to prepare that much because the race in, in Denmark was not not that long ago, but... But how did you prepare for it? I mean, it's it's, uh, it's such a different race from normal distance and you don't know even like how long you're going to run. So what do you do kind of training-wise and before a race like this?
0: So in general, what I've been doing this last year or so is I have actually dialed down on the amount of training or actually the amount of kilometers because I have figured out that if I do around 80 to 100 kilometers per week on average, this is a nice spot for me because I get to rest and I still get to get a, a few good training sessions in. In general, what I do is I very rarely do more than 30 kilometers per session. I'd rather do like two thirty kilometers per session, one of Saturday and one on Sunday, for instance. So it's, hmm. for me, it's a lot of getting used to be running on tired legs where I'm sort of exhausted. But the real training that, that's not really going in your legs, it's going to be in your head. Because it's 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 really where you will need to bring your a game. Because once you hit that spot where you don't think you can win, you might as well just quit. And it, that's usually also what happens. Because oh it's so hard to turn it around. If you have just one bad loop, you most probably end up having less rest time. The next loop will be harder. And then you'll just be downright what's firing. Hmm. So for me, it's been a lot of training, being in my mind and keeping a positive mindset and also coming to peace with the fact that I cannot control anything. As a person, hmm. I'm very much a control freak, some might say. I like to be on top of everything. And so for me, it's been a lot of just figuring out that like, so only so much I can control here. I cannot control the weather, but I can control how I react to is pouring down for instance, and then obviously there's some uh, physical stuff, I keep my feet dry and so forth, but that's likely a lot of my training has been concentrated around the, the mental aspect of the, of the running.
1: Did, did you train the sleeping part too? I mean, for Harvey, Harvey, Lewis like said that, that I mean, he was the eventual winner of big dogs with a, with a crazy amount of, of laps, 85 hours of, of running. So he actually said that he always did a five minute nap in his classroom in school, like when he was uh, by himself during the lunch breaks, just to kind of set his alarm exactly for five minutes to train this kind of falling asleep within five minutes and uh, waking up refreshed and not uh, going the wrong way. I mean, is that something you ever...
0: Keep my feet dry and so forth. Yeah. But that's like a lot of my training has been concentrated around the, the mental aspect of the, of the running. Did, did you train the sleeping part too
1: i mean uh, for Harvey have lewis like said that that uh, i mean he was the eventual winner uh, of big dogs with a, with a crazy um yeah amount of of laps 85 hours of uh, of running um so he actually said that he always did a 5 minute nap in uh, in his classroom in school like when he was uh, by himself during the lunch breaks just to kind of Yeah, set his alarm exactly for five minutes to train this kind of falling asleep within five minutes and uh, waking up refreshed and not uh, going the wrong way. I mean, is that something you ever like really practiced in a way or does that work for you at all? Do you sleep at all?
0: Unfortunately, I didn't practice it very much. I did practice a bit of self-meditation. So where you do like, yes, they just check where you go off from your your feet and all the way up through the body. And that helps me relax. But you actually hit right on the nail here because this was actually something else. I was mean, having difficult. So even if I ran and I should be able to, to, to get at least five minutes of sleep during the nighttime, I wasn't able to because I took it so long to fall asleep. So I didn't practice it. And I think actually that's very much on the top of my list of what I need to be practicing for the next time.
1: That's why I, I'm. I mean, if I if there would be like somebody taking bets, when I saw the last three runners, my money was on on uh, Terumichi Morishita from Japan, Mori, really, yeah. like because i mean I, I did an exchange study in japan and i know that the japanese they train this on the on the on the subway every day they can fall asleep as soon as they sit down and they magically wake up exactly at their stop without passing by i think that's in asia like something that i don't know if this is a acquired skill or if it's uh, if it's it's genetically but it's a giant advantage i think because yeah. I and mean, that's the, that's the funny part, right? Because I mean, at the end over such an accumulated time, right? Like f- almost four, four full days of running. I mean, those five minutes sleep per hour is as strange as it sounds. It could be like what decides
0: about the race winner, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that it's actually a large or a huge factor in these type of races once you go on beyond say two days, for instance. Uh, then, then most would actually think in a, when, when they think about the race for the first time. It's been quite evident for me, at least, that, that, that is something I need to be practicing because I felt that I was a bit forced to be running a bit too fast during the night loops in order to have at least 10 minutes of sleep in order to actually fall asleep to get something out of my sleep. So if I was able to fall asleep and get efficient few minutes of sleep, uh, I wouldn't have to be forced to run less fast, and that would be a conserving the energy, which in the long run would most probably help me out, getting a bit longer or a few more laps and before eventually DNFing.
1: So in, yeah, in Bell Buckle you you run 31 rounds. So how, like there was a whole line of runners uh, quitting in exactly the same round. Was there like something going on, like chatting, like you, you turned back, right? So you didn't, you didn't, you decided after, after going out uh, that you wouldn't make it and came back. Some others, they just didn't make it back in time, but I think it was quite a large number. And normally like this loop change is often that kind of critical moments because people Like, especially if they change back from the the night loop, which is on the road and a bit faster and easier to run. And then you go back to the trail, especially in the morning, light is still dim and there's uh, there's elevation to deal with. And so these are normally kind of rounds where you always watch and, and think about it. Okay. Who's, who's maybe falling out, but lap 31 seems to be kind of in the middle of somewhere. So quite surprising to see so many dropouts in one single round.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I was having issues with uh, my stomach and I was feeling sick. And I think I've been doing like 8 to 10, 12 laps perhaps with, with from, uh, stomach issues. So eventually I was just having uh, severe stomach cramps and I was so the day loop that starts going out on uh, a bit on the asphalt and then you turn around and then you come back and doing into the trails. I was basically walking along. And I was short of shuffling a bit about and then I could see I could only just keep the required pace when I was on the asphalt. I was like, well, I'm not going to make it all the way through the, the trail loop yet. But I was also a bit uh, surprised to see ecstasy, some, some roles that I felt was quite strong, just dropping off. And it was a bit of a bummer. And, and I was like, oh, I, I think it was the one guy, Ron. And I've been speaking to him early on the race, and he was doing it very good, it seems. And he also done quite, I think he did like. 43 laps in his qualifying race. So he's been even running further on. And then all of a sudden he came in I was sitting. I was like, wow, Ronald, well, what happened here? So it's, it's definitely, it, every, every time it's something different, I think.
1: And what, what do you do nutrition wise? I, I saw you are kind of, uh fan of Tailwind, it seems, yes. for for liquid carbohydrates. Do you have something special? I mean, I think Courtney DeWalter is like famous for Fruit Loops and like <laughs> uh, all crazy stuff between uh, her races. Like, uh, do you have anything special? Did you have to bring something in from, from Denmark?
0: Yeah, that's actually one of my problems. I don't know if it's a, the, the main problem, but it was say a problem. So in you know, Denmark, we've got this, like, it's called Rue and it's, it's, there's a lot of seeds and it and it's, and it's very nice. We, we use it for, for, uh, well, a lot of, a lot of our uh, dinner time actually. And I used to take one, just one slice with the, uh, put on a, a slice of cheese or a slice of ham or uh, turkey or stuff and just eat that. Because as you mentioned, I'm doing a lot of tailwind and that's my primary source of energy and then I eat this in between the loops in order to get something of any substance down in my stomach and be able to, to just uh, get a bit of the water and and bind it. And, but unfortunately in the U.S. you don't have that. I think, I think it's a Scandinavian type of thing. so what we did was we brought some baking mixtures, but unfortunately it it, it, it didn't taste quite well. And then we did try to find some in the U.S. and, but that wasn't exactly the same. So. And that was a bit of a hassle. And that's obviously if I'm going, hopefully I'll be going in the next time there's, there's an international event again. I'll be able to fly in directly and I'll be able to bring it from back home. But I, in general, I tend to mix up my nutrition strategy with a lot of uh, real food. So mashed potatoes or pasta and meatballs, soup or anything just to, to get something that's not, not too sweet for one thing and something that has a bit of texture so you're actually feeling that you're eating something. I mean, I can go for like 15 hours or so just by drinking energy and then at some point it's like, well, now I need to be feeling like, like I'm eating something.
1: Pretty awesome. And how was the trail? I read your blog um, that you wrote about the 2020 Danish day uh, Big Dane backyard where you, although the, and I think that the, the was actually for the, the satellite races that you did. The, the one where you said it went not so well, where you had like chin problems. And so this one, I think there you had a trail where you could power walk it pretty much without running if you had to. And uh, so you experimented a lot with running parts of it and then walking parts of it. So how is that trail in Tennessee? Is that possible to also walk it or do you really have to kind of keep your steady running
0: pace? It's not an easy trail, that's for sure. I don't think I will be able to power walk it. And and I actually can walk quite fast on flat normal roads. I can actually do like eight kilometers per hour just walking if I'm concentrated. And I don't think I'll be able to do that in the, uh, in the bits. I don't, don't necessarily say it's super technical. But there's a lot of small breaks, so I was having a bit of trouble actually getting a good flow on the, uh, on the trail. So it was a matter of that. Oh yeah, now I have to stop and now I have to walk and here's the rock sticking out of the ground and I don't want to be falling over here. And then you had other spots where you was like, okay, yeah. So this is just downhill running, no problems at all, just keep going. So it's not as hard. Actually, I just didn't manage to to find a good rhythm or good flow on the the trail. And one of the other things was that a lot of the other guys and girls, they were actually very, very good at just running on a very steady pace, slow but steady, even on the inclines. And, And that doesn't work very well for me. So I would rather be doing a bit faster running and then be walking more. So mm. I was still a bit more different than they are. I'm not very good at just very slow running and just mm. too much of a steady running.
1: But the trail is quite narrow partially, right? I mean, I saw it looked at least like where the camera was set up. It looked sometimes really quite narrow as if it's hard to
0: overtake somebody even if you're in the bush. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was it is quite narrow and I know some people are struggling a bit because they're not able to run their old race because they feel like they're trapped between other runners. I mean, in general, people were quite, quite good at, at uh, noticing when people wanted to pass and step to the side and everything. Nobody wants to be just be the guy who was, oh yeah, can I pass and can I pass and can I pass? So you really need to find the rhythm. Unfortunately, or perhaps this was actually fortunate, a lot of the European people weren't able to participate due to the restrictions that I was facing as well. So normally there would be like 70 or 75 participants.
1: I think 75 is the maximum, right? That he he says he has space in his (laughs) backyard.
0: Yeah, and I can see how that could be very crowded in the first 24 hours or so. With that many people,
1: especially. I mean, not not only on the trail. I wonder how they do that with the toilets, because you have a very limited time frame. <laughs>
0: to... Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing, and, and even just tents and everything, because everybody w- really wants to be to have their own tent to get back into and. and... And not just in the in, in the community area as well. So there is certainly some limits to how many people could be there.
1: So what bumped me out a little bit was that it's such a pity that not more people saw it. Because, I mean, as I said, I watched it pretty much almost the entire time on, on Facebook. Because it's actually quite TV friendly. Because, yeah, you have to fix time roughly like that depending on if it's night or, or day loop. But the fastest runner comes in around 40, 40 something ish minutes to the hour. Then you have kind of 20 minutes to, to see them running off again and to see if somebody didn't make it to the the coral. So that's actually like a much more TV friendly format than for example, a 200 kilometer race or something where at the end it's the finish line that's interesting. And in between you can maybe visualize distances on a, on a graphic or something so yeah. that's actually i think it has so much more potential and after all it's just kind of an extreme feat of human endeavor right i mean i i must say that at the end uh, 85 rounds that's yeah 354 miles um like i don't know like 400 500 kilometers uh, yeah, pretty much i mean that's it's, it's, it's nuts it's nuts right i mean to run this with with I think Harvey Lewis average loop was 50 minutes and a bit so Like doing this with less than 10 minutes uh, rest every hour is just, just incredible. It should be much more celebrated. It should be much more, I think, frontline media interest. And so that's, that was almost a little bit sad, but at the same time, it made me feel quite uh, privileged to watch it and kind of made me a little bit bad when I went for, went to sleep because somehow you kind of
0: uh, feel almost bad for those people who were still going out there. and, And it was actually quite amazing because when I was done, I have a brother who lives in Kansas and we have, we made arrangements. So they will come pick me up and my girlfriend up and we will drive back with them. So at Sunday night, when I was feeling for bed, or Sunday evening, we drove like an hour and an hour and a half, and then we went to the hotel for, uh, to get a good night's sleep. I could certainly use it for sure, but <laughs> actually I was, I was awake like nearly every hour because i was just so curious to see how how the guys do it. so i was w- awake nearly every hour just seeing the the um, the live feed and just seeing when it came i was like oh, okay well that's good then i went to sleep for like 45 minutes again and then always pick up because i just couldn't couldn't leave my phone too much because it really wants to to i don't know kind of support the guys for still being there and i think it's quite quite fun to be watching even if I wasn't there at the end as well.
1: And I, ha- I think I have two questions to ask that, that I owe the community who watched the, the Facebook stream. The first one is, is it actually
0: a fun loop if you're running it? Well, I, I must say I was uh, getting a bit bored with the trail <laughs> loop. Well, I mean, the night loop, that is, that is just straight up boring because it's just down the asphalt road, just out of, it, sort of the sort back. I mean, it's manageable as well, because then you can just plug in some good podcasts or you can even be nearly sleep running or something. But that's, but the, but the trail loop at one point I was like, well, now I've seen this and I don't think for me it was a matter of, so you're doing this, you're running out and then you're doing a loop and then you're doing, running around the same track back. And even though I've been doing that loop for like, I don't know, 15 times or something. I was still at some point I was like, yeah, well now I just need to go ahead and out out of woods, and I'm near the, and and then I'm back, back at the gate. I was like, oh no, it's because there's this all little, little loops and it's two, and then there's like a kilometer more. So I mean, it's definitely not the most fun loop I've ever been running in my life, that's for sure.
1: We were brainwashed because there was, uh, I think every 20 minutes or so, there was a trailer with Courtney DeWolter saying exactly this. And uh, when you listen to the, uh, the broadcast for three days straight, you believe kind of, it's a pretty fun loop if you're running it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and the, the second question that I have um, to ask you is something, I mean, you, you might not be aware of it, but actually there's other than you guys and Harvey Lewis, there was another big star emerging from the race, especially from the broadcast. And that's, that's a lock. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I, I uh, saw that. <laughs> there's a Facebook, exactly. There's a Facebook page, the the big spec yeah, lock appreciation society which has, I don't know, like how many hundred uh, members in the meantime that uh, f- shares mostly lock content. But <laughs> I mean, it's, that's that's the fun part of a camera, like setting up in the woods, waiting for runners to come. I mean, for most of the time, you see a bunch of trees and a lock that was very photogenic. And uh, yeah, yeah, he got a nickname and a lot of stories. Yeah. How did it look from up close? I think I owe the community
0: this uh, <laughs> question. Did you realize it? <laughs> I don't actually realize it, but I did see a lot of chattering going on in the chat about a log, and I was like, l- w- looking at this, I was like, I know exactly where this camera stood up, and I'm like, a little unsure what you're talking about, guys. I was like, well, who's the more sleep deprived? Is it you or is it me? Actually, <laughs> so but it was think- really fun.
1: I mean, there was a lot of jokes going on because I mean, that's that's the funny part because yeah, at the end, most of the time, it was also just a few hundred people, and and the facebook stream and you recognize the names and uh it became a running gag because of course there were on one hand people were asking the same question over and over and it mostly like where's uh, courtney de <laughs> it was fun so there was this i think it trail runners have a special humor too and and you must have a special humor i think to enter these races i think that's uh that's kind of the the crown jewel of the uh, trail runner humor is uh to enter a race like this with so much pain and nothing to gain.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I started out like most people do by running just normal flat asphalt races. I mean, Denmark is super flat yeah. and <laughs> I don't say we don't have any mountains or anything really, but I found out when I, once I switched into doing more trail running and especially once I switched into doing more off running, I found that the community and especially in the ultra community, it feels like we are just a bunch of people cut out from the same nut cloth. There's a lot of uh, helpfulness going on and people know what we are talking about and, and it actually feels like a large family. And I think most, are most probably also influence on, on the humor and part as well.
1: I think that's also like one of the themes of this particular race, right? So that's, that's why it is in his backyard and that's why the number of participants is limited because it was like all those races kind of originally thought of more like a f- family reunion of the cycle, like a circle of crazy runners who meet uh, once per year and do a race together and share kind of uh, a few pity tents. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And it became quite evident for Julie, my girlfriend. She was with me as crew, and she was a bit worried that she was going to be just sitting in the corner when I was out running, and she was be sitting in the corner by herself, being the odd Dane from, yeah, I don't know, the city, the, the island of IKEA or something. <laughs> and uh, and and she was very, she was a bit worried about it. And I was like, yeah, well, don't, then you shouldn't be worrying. And and she's an ultra runner herself, so she knows. lot of this and once we got there and it was quite evident uh, that people were just wanting to include everyone and be helpful so at one point we were lacking a chair for me to to just lay down with a recliner and 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 some people overheard it and it was like well i think we got one over here and then a few minutes later they came on with a perfectly fine working recliner chair for me and at some point else, I was like, oh, well, we need some tops to put up on the tent to, to make more sides on, on the tent. And another guy was like, oh, well, we got some over here. You can have this. And I think it's actually Harvey Lewis's crew. He was having this tent right across the hour. And he was like, oh yeah, I, 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 you, you need some zip ties. And my girlfriend, she's not very tall too, so she was like having trouble actually getting up. So he was like, oh, well, let me fix that for you. So. It was just so family and friendly and everyone was really helping each other out. There was like zero competitiveness going on at all.
1: That's also like a special part of this race, right? I mean, they call the second one an assist for for a reason because there's no finishing line. So you can only set the records if... Yeah, you run with a bunch of people who are as crazy as you are and almost as good as you are. Right? And that's different from a race where if you're faster than you're first. and some racers that race from the top, they never see any of the <laughs> of the others. And here, I mean, you, you you run with them and you need them also in a way because else the race would be not that uh, spectacular and interesting. And you possibly also need them for motivation, right? I mean, it's quite often that runners that like, fall out in, in bunches, not just one. So it's kind of, you, you run together and, and you are as strong as the other person is in a way. And if one of them kind of then falters, then, then maybe you say, oh, I'm not yeah, feeling yeah, much yeah. better
0: than this guy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was it was quite evident. I think we were, we were running out on the day loop and it was the loop after where Sarah Moore didn't make it in or drop out. I can't remember what happened. And we were talking a bit and then at one point uh, I heard the uh, call, oh, that's too bad. You know, we, we really need to keep the spirits up for everybody to, to, to be able to, to be here. And it was just so evident that everyone wanted the runner next to them to be having a good time and to be running just one more lap, just one more lap. So to be pushing on together. I'm rereading a book called How Bad Do We Want It? Which is basically a lot around endurance athletes and with mental strategies that you can apply. And that's exactly just yesterday, I read the the chapter that's uh, surrounded about the, the group effect, which basically is uh, saying this. So uh, when you are running in, in a group of people, you are actually doing better because you are lifting each other and it's not quite as painful, it's not quite as hard, and you're not quite as inclined to be stopping. And also on the flip side, when people are dropping out, it, it, it comes in waves.
1: Cool. I think we talked a lot about the VIX and I think I want to get a little bit more into this ultra mindset in a broader frame. I mean, we talked a, little, um, a bit about it also that that this is yeah what interests you maybe the most in, in racing. And you also recently made a little bit of a career switch there, right? I mean, I saw that you kind of now are also coaching and... Of course, coaching runners, I guess, but not not just runners, right? And this this mindset coaching is at least also on on the list of of your offerings. So I'm definitely super interested kind of to to dive a little bit more into this because that's really something that I'm also fascinating with, like persistence and how we can maybe benefit in other aspects of, of life from a little bit of this mindset. Luckily, don't uh, always have to kind of drag us with blistered feet and painful knees to the office on Monday morning. But I think there's definitely moments where grit and perseverance are useful. And I'm really curious how you see this. Maybe you can tell us first kind of how your Lube is came about. And if I translated it right from Danish, it's uh, run crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's that's kind of, you, you do it like me, right? I mean, you have this uh, good branding where you have your, your website and your company, but it's also kind of your nickname in a way. It became your yeah. nickname. I think it's, it works with my life sparring kind of uh, in a similar way in the meantime. Yeah. So I'm going to meet them also,
0: that life sparring guy. Smart move. I can definitely recommend yeah. the strategy. And it actually came around just, just one day I was, I was just done doing my first marathon and I was like, this is such an amazing achievement that I have been doing. Everyone, but it would, would have to know about because it's just so amazing. Also, I I don't know if self-obsessed is the right term, but I was so much overflowing with positive energy about the achievement and everything. So that's basically where it started and it started out just just doing some plug-in and then I did a bit of a career switching, which is actually, it's, it's more tied into running than I initially has been uh, aware of because actually I, I came to a point in my life and I got divorced and uh, I was at a point in my life where I was like, well, so I know that I can do a lot and even the stuff that I don't know I can do, I can at least try to do it and see how it goes because. I have now learned that a lot of my limits aren't where I think they are. They are even further out. So I think what all this running and and especially doing the ultra runner has taught me that I shouldn't be too afraid of just trying stuff out and shouldn't be afraid of failing. Being a guy who wants to be quite a lot in control and also being a person that I would like to do everything correct and the right way also means that I've somehow been quite, uh, scared to be failing. And that's something I've been taking away. So basically saying that, so even if you fail, you don't fail. Now you just learned something and whichever that is. And I think that's really one of the, uh, the, the key aspects in mindset I've been taking away from running is that I'm not as, as afraid to be failing and I'm more I'm inclined to just try something new and see. Okay, well, let's see where this leads us and where this goes. And if it's if it's a dead end, well, then we spend some time. We most probably learn something, and then we just turn back and to go another way. So that's that's definitely some of the the aspects I I have taken with me, and I think that's actually quite quite important because it also, for me at least, it means that I'm more happy in my choices because. Now I feel I'm making a choice and I just come to peace with that choice, knowing that I had tried something and I might backtrack a bit and that's perfectly fine. Or it just ends out on the other side of the mist, And I was like, wow, I didn't expect this to be here, but this is also kind of cool. So that's actually a part of it. So I decided that I've been spending like 10 years in the telco industry and in the, in the IT businesses, uh, the IT industry as well. And I was like, well, let's, let's try and try this out, but do a bit of coaching as well. So last year during Corona, I was slid off from my current work or my last work. And I was like, well, so this is definitely a good time to be exploring this. So this is where I am right now. I am, unfortunately, I'm not able to live a hundred percent of my, my running or coaching business, but it, it's going in, in the right direction, and I mean, this is also one of the takeaways. So I'm trying out seeing, does this work? Well, it's not going as fast. I I would have liked it to, but it's definitely going and I'm so happy to be doing it. I would do perfectly fine with far less income doing this than I've been doing previously, because this is something I really like to be doing. So I also learned how to prioritize what is important to me, as opposed to what is important seen from a broader um, society generally perspective. Like I'm, I don't have a huge house or a huge car and a boat or a pool in a garden. Or, and that's not too common in Denmark because it's not too warm, <laughs> but, but still, I mean, I, I, I get by with less because that, that gives me free time to do what's really important to me. Do you have any ambitions? Maybe really to do more in
1: in the mindset um, area, like uh, in terms of kind of combining maybe really the business angle uh, a little bit with it, because I think that this is really something where I saw potential. I mean, I love the whole idea because at the end then of the life sparring idea is exactly the same thing. Also to say, you have to expose yourself. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable because only then you can improve. Only then you can find your limits and go beyond them. That's exactly the same the same thinking behind it. So that's why I definitely I like the move, and it's 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 a long shot. And of course, there's um there's there's quite a lot of coaches um out there, but I think that there's there are not many people who can do what you can do, and that this is definitely something that I believe really has, as I said, this this to be able to do this mind switch and uh, to deal with this kind of environment to run a race where you don't know when it finishes and. Yeah, that's that's what fascinated me. If I watched um, the last three, it was just amazing. I mean, Chris Roberts was he was limping at one point. Yeah. He was he was doing the night loops where he came in like one minute, two minutes, uh, most of the time two minutes before or three minutes before the whistle. So they had the three minute whistle, right? So there's a uh, there's there's a three whistles when you're kind of when you have three minutes uh, before the restart, and he almost came. Every time he went over the the finishing line, immediately he got those whistles. So he knew he had uh, only three minutes and that's the night loops where you would normally kind of, if you are still relatively fresh, you run them in in 45 minutes and you have maybe 10 minutes for rest and the five minutes for eating something or so. So it was um, absolutely crazy, like not just that he could continue but also for the other two who like every time would have thought like, oh, this guy is out. He can't do another round like this. And then he can do another round. And then it changes to the day loop where you think, I mean, I was pretty sure that he wouldn't have no shot on the day loop because he could barely do the night loop on time. And that's special. I mean, to be able to shake this off and how Harvey Lewis, I mean, he did, I think on, I can't remember which one it was, but like on lap 78 or something or 79 or so, he did a sprint duel with Mori on, the, yeah, with on Ma- the hill where they were just for fun, like running up the the hill, like sprinting for sprinting points. Yes. And he he looked as if he could still have done another like he looked very unfazed, right? Very kind of as if he, whatever happens, he does his race. He started as one of the slowest the whole time and was so consistent, so steady. Do you really believe that this is something that, that this mindset is something that everybody can develop? Because if you look at the top trail runners, I mean, I had one of my more like, local uh, regional heroes um, on the show, Vlad Ixel, and my very first podcast. And I mean, he's a, he's a podium runner. So he, he wins 80, 90% of the races he enters and he races mostly in APEC, but he runs everything between marathon and shorter trail races. So I think mostly up to 50 K, but he's, he's not, not uh, per se like a, like a long ultra runner, but um, he runs kind of those middle distance trail runs and he wins everything. But he started kind of running like you in his uh, mid-twenties, relatively late after uh, smoking and drinking and not having the healthiest lifestyle. And it took him a year or so to start winning, uh, winning races and being competitive. So that's always this discussion. So like a person like him is definitely just athletically gifted. I mean, he could have done something else. He could have also if he would. Stayed in the tennis camp for um, six years. If he would not have run out of money at that time, I mean, he would maybe have been a competitive tennis player too, right? So, and that's the part that that is like always a little bit sad for like like a mediocre person like me, because I, I know I will never kind of make a podium in any race. Huh? But the specier idea, of course, is a bit more fascinating because it's so much more about the mind. Sure, your body has to hold up. But you don't need the VO2 max of, I don't know, 62 <laughs> to be competitive. And that's, I and mean, also if you look at the, I mean, a lot of the, the races are relatively old. I mean, you were one of the younger contestants with 36 years, right? I think the youngest was 33, I think. And like Harvey Lewis is 45. I think you and your Danish races, they were like races like in the late 50s. So it's it's not so much a, a, a thing, thing of gender. It's not so much a thing of age. It's... You also have different body types to it. Some tall guys, some shorter guys. I mean, you yeah. don't have this this differences so much in, in sprints or in, in other sports, right? I mean, Paul J- Walters, they, they all are kind of, yeah, they have all a similar build or swimmers, right? Because there is a certain genetical advantage if you are built in a certain way. And yeah. I think that this... Diversity speaks for, yeah, it being so much more also a mind game. And that of course gives me a bit of hope because I think mentally I have maybe a little bit more chance to compete in in anything.
0: So yeah. What what do you think? I'm quite sure that that everyone can develop if they're willing to work a bit, how they see everything in, in terms of the mental part of the equation here. I think everyone will be able to improve quite quite drastically in any sports. I don't know if it's a mind over matter type of thing, but it's really, really a huge part of it if you want to keep going. I mean, you see, in general, if you want to get into the background and want to, well, for the very least, push yourself to your limit, then you need to make it very hard to find excuses to stop. Meaning that if you're going to enter a race and it's like, oh, well, my personal best is... For a whatever distance, or I, I would like to do like 24 hours, which is a hundred mile, and that will be a personal best. Then I will be pretty sure that you will be going to stop quite around that time once you hit the 25 hour mark, because you're giving yourself an easy out, and that's, that's really where I contend. So you really want to be going into these type of things with only one goal, and that has to be, I'm going to be the last one standing here, and I think it's a good analogy to uh, apply to other aspects in your life that you you need to be going into the stuff that you that's important to you wholeheartedly so you really need and you really want to be doing this w- and without getting yourself any easy outs because if you are getting setting up easy outs then you're most probably also going to tame once you get to them and, and i think in that term and that's matter i think you really are able to work a lot if you are very focused on not setting yourself up for these easy outs. And it could be in a whole array of of areas. So it can be everything from what I'm going to make for dinner, if I'm going to do the healthy choice, or if I'm going to do the, the easy choice. Well, if you have the easy choice, it takes a lot more to convince yourself to do the healthy choice, for instance. Not necessarily saying that the healthy choice isn't the easy choice, but if the easy choice is ordering a pizza or you have to make the pizza from bottom up, I mean... It's it's going to you're going to invest more time to doing pizza from from the bottom up. So in that sense, I think there's a lot of things that you could be working with, and and I think a lot of us is actually giving ourselves a lot of easy outs a hundred times a day without even realizing it. I think that's actually one of the places where you can actually start. Right now, I'm just this weekend. I'm I was having a, a course on on habit coaching and how to break your habits, and a lot of this is centered around doing just very small steps, because once you figure out, okay, I can do this and you feel a sense of accomplishment, then it's easier for you to do this and to this and to do this, which will uh, spread out that reason so, so in this sense, I think it's, there's really something that you could be working on here, not necessary having to be ultra running in just two loops an endless amount of times.
1: It's interesting because you have kind of still a holistic plan in in that way, because I think that the other extreme strategy is what some of the runners say is, I don't care. I always just focus on the next loop. I always just say, it's just, I just have to complete this loop. And that's kind of the opposite uh, strategy, kind of to make the goal kind of as small as possible and say, I don't care. I just do one loop and I do another one loop and one loop and one loop and you just, don't notice uh, anything else you just um, focus on the loop and this is something to be honest that i'm not the best at i suck at it big time because i'm kind of a forward-thinking person i'm always in my mind very often at the next kind of big step and the goal i'm a very goal-oriented person i would say and i struggle even though i also try mindfulness meditation and a lot of things but it's just not something that comes to me naturally. I would have problems with just this loop thing because in my mind, I would kind of calculate and see and and analyze and say, oh, if my knee feels like this right now, that means in three rounds when it goes back to the day loop, then <laughs> this yeah. might become a problem or something, right? So, So that's kind of interesting because I think that's maybe... Maybe there are really like two types of runners, like the ones um, like you, you, who have kind of more like a game plan and and more like an overall mindset approach and those who really say, nah,
0: completely be in the moment, just focus on this particular loop. I think both ways to move on has a lot of merits. And I actually think also I'm doing a bit switch back and forth during a race like background because at one point, I have found out that when I'm starting to struggle for whichever reason, so for instance, having stomach problems, I'm having a hard time seeing the whole keeping is holistic and, and just saying this. So at that time I tend to zoom in and then try to do, okay, well, so I just do to include, do this one loop. Once I get in back from this loop, I'll get some mashed potatoes and that's perfect yeah, and then that, that will help. And then I don't have to do this. And at one point when I get better, at one point I switch out again and try to do this whole holistic type of view again. So for me, I'm actually switching back uh, back and forth a bit. But as as you mentioned, it doesn't come naturally um, too much for me to just say, okay, I'm just going to do one more loop. I'm just going to do one more loop. I can do it and especially I can do it if I am a bit distracted because it's a nice scenery or I'm chatting along with other runners and stuff. I, it's a lot easier for me to be doing because then I'm not focused It was like, yeah, well, then then this was another loop. That was fun. Let's do this again in like, let's say five minutes or so. So for me, I'm switching back back and forth a bit. But in general, I like the approach more being more holistic and looking at it in a broader perspective as opposed to just keeping small goals everywhere.
1: Pretty interesting. Okay. I think we covered a lot of ground. So normally this... The podcasts are more like mid-distance, not completely ultra. I think I've never recorded more than one and a half hours or so. But <laughs> I think uh, I'm definitely interested what's next for you. So you have your, your own races that you organized. I'm, it looks as if you're coming back to the backyard. I mean, you you didn't seem to have enough of it yet.
0: Oh, I definitely don't have enough. I mean, it didn't take many hours before I was in school go that. So we need to get back working because I need to be back here in 2023. So right now, the plan is to get a good rest here. And then by March, the forward has changed a bit. So now you don't have a golden ticket race. You now have silver race where you need to win yourself access to the um, team cement which will next October, where we are competing Denmark and all, all the countries basically together as a team of 15 runners. And then we are doing it simultaneously, like we did last year actually with the mm-hmm. with the whole corona. And the Danish team there will get the golden ticket to be going back to Tennessee in twenty twenty three. So basically what the plan is here I'm going to be racing in March for the silver ticket race, which is the original race in Denmark, so to speak. And I really hope that there will be a lot of guys really wanting to push themselves because I would really like to be pushing the boundaries at least up to two full days of 48 hours for sure. And hopefully that will make sure that I'll be able to enter the the national team. And then it's just a matter of taking one loop at a time and winning. Because I definitely would love to go back to Tennessee and, and have another crack at it. That's for sure.
1: Good. And are you planning to organize more races uh, in the format? I mean, you have already kind of uh, this uh, Rotterdam race in Denmark. That's also like a, a similar format, but you cap it normally at at 100 kilometers. Or how, how did it uh, work?
0: So in the past, I've been carrying at around 10 loops, or this this year I did a like 15 loops, so it's like 100 kilometers. Because a lot of my uh, participants were like, well, can we do 15 because then it's 100 kilometers, as opposed to just 50 miles. I was like, well, it's we can if you are. If you have been crazy enough, I'm certainly crazy enough to do that. But actually next year, a o'clock will be also a silver ticket event. So whoever wins at my race will also earn a spot in the national team. So I am organizing that. And actually I am also organizing a limited winter edition, which here will be held in January. So hopefully there will be snow and everything in January in Denmark, and that will be kept for, uh, for 15 hours. So hundred kilometers.
1: But your own race, you can't, you can't enter as a participant or will you also uh, race
0: your, your own race? <laughs> I mean, the first time I did it, I actually Did the race as my own training up until the, the Danish backyard and, and I was racing along and it was super fun and we were like 40 participants or so. So that was a lot of fun, but I wouldn't do it in my own race anymore. And, and and I wouldn't want to do it either actually, because I think it is just so rewarding to be organizing the race and have the ability to, to chat with people and seeing how they're doing and try to help them a bit as well because a lot of things can be said about Lazarus Lake and and surely if you watch documentaries about the Barclays and everything you would look at him saying okay he's a cruel guy He just <laughs> wants to see people suffer but actually on the contrary he really wants you to succeed in in finding your limit and pushing your limits and I feel the same I think I if I could get all my participants to just be going for like thirty hours, forty hours, fifty hours, I would love to do that because it's so rewarding to be on the other end of it as well
1: that's uh, I think a really important point right I think he's famous for saying it's easy to create a race that's uh, undoable, it's not so easy to do like a race that's doable, but people don't feel it's it's doable right and that was for the Barclays for the yep. longest time, right I mean they held it fifteen times and nobody ever finished, and then it took one person to finish it. Then you have this phenomenon that you had also, I don't know, like with, with mile races or something, then if one person can do it, then suddenly a lot of other people realize they also can do it and he had to make the race harder <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he was feeling he has to push it kind of uh, a little bit further. I think that's, that's fascinating too. It seems that that race organizing is also something you, you're having too much fun to, to yeah. stop
0: doing. A... It's a lot of hours and it's a lot of work and. It's definitely something that I'm getting rich of, but it's, it's, it's just giving me so much more in terms of new friendships and, and really seeing people working and doing the best at, at what they love to do, be doing. So it's, I can definitely see why he's keep doing it. It's just so much fun. And especially the backyard setup, because you get people back at the, at the camp every hour, so they get to chat back and forth for people, I mean. One of the beauties of this is that if I participate in a race, I usually will be running along people that run roughly the same same as I. So the front runners, I will never see them. They take off, and once I cross the finish line, they're already gone home. Uh, and I mean, the back of the people, back of the pack as well. Most probably, I won't see them either. I'm, I'm always backyard, happy
1: if there's still something left to eat when I arrive.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's really so. So in the backyard, I mean. Every hour, even the fastest guys, I'm standing right next to them. I can be chatting. And even the slowest guys, I'll be standing right next to them running because at this particular lab, I might be doing extra slow because I really don't need to be doing anything in a break. And then another lab again, I'll be okay. Now I'm be running it really fast because I need to both go to the toilet and change socks <laughs> and everything. Right? So that's really one of the beauties of it. So we really just keep doing, meeting people across and, and speaking with people. And of course, uh, once you spend like ten, fifteen, twenty hours out on the trail and everyone is hurting and everything, you, you get to know people on, on a way that you will never do uh, unless you spend a hell of a lot more time together with them.
1: That's kind of like the war experience, right? In a way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would I would imagine that's that's kind of the the band of brothers or something like that. I mean it's it's, it's I think it's along those lines.
1: And now that you are kind of official international ultra running royalty, did you feel a difference already? I mean, you're on a podcast uh, with a guy from Hong Kong, but in general, did you kind of feel that more people are are reaching out to you? I mean, I saw you were quoted in a few articles uh, about the backyard. I think you did well enough kind of to be high up on the list and and you finished early enough so that you were not completely spent and you could still give uh, coherent interviews yeah. the next day also
0: <laughs> yeah i heard that there was like a lot of danish people rooting for me in the chat as well it was really heartwarming and there's a bit more interest than i was like i'm also a bit aware of so if i need to just take this in and enjoy the, uh, the their own interest and see If just, just enjoy and see where this goes and just be open. So when you reach out to me, it's like, sure. As if there's anything I like to do that, that is basically talk about running and especially (laughs) a lot of running. So, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's really something. I don't know if it's a lot of change, but it's really fun just to see your picture in a news magazine. So this is actually the first time anyone has written an article about me, specifically about me, I think. So that's actually quite a fun to be watching yourself there yeah. but um here in Alborg where i live there's actually there's another very good ultra runner because she has i think she has a silver european medal in 24 hours and she's like second or third for 24 hours on a mill as well and she's one of my good friends and um, i mean there, there's a good um amount of really good runners here in in, in Alborg and in this area around it's not like it's, uh, wow, so now we've got an ultra runner, an international level or something. To be fair, I'm not really seeing myself in any other light. It's, I still refer to myself as a, as a hobby jogger. The long hobby jog that you're doing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and also my, my co-workers there also just, I mean, the first time I came back when I won the the Danish race, and so they were asking, so how long did you run? I was like, yeah, I'd... I did like uh, 39 hours, and you just see the eyes just turn completely blank. I was like, can you repeat that? Because I <laughs> thought you said 39 hours. That's just crazy stupid. So that's still the same. But a lot of people have just come combine, pop by and Messenger on Facebook and say, oh, well, that's really nice. We were following you. And even people that normally wouldn't be interested in running and so forth and everything. And I think also that's what's part of what the the backyard is doing. It's it's like you said. It's it's very very friendly to be watching and easy to understand, and then the rules are simple. And it's it's not really a lot about running. It's a lot about the mental aspect and seeing people. Well, somewhat slowly fall apart, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's also awesome. I I was fascinated
1: by it, and I was always. I mean, I the longest I have run uh, is a fifty k, and I was just thinking in proportion to a 50K and how much I am spent and how much I am hurting. I mean, how much uh, you guys all uh, must be in pain. But uh, then I read a, a scientific study that pretty much after around 15 hours, it's not
0: getting worth anymore. Basically, you reach maximum <laughs> uh, maximum pain well, level. Good. Well, that's good to know. Then you, then you might as well just be going after 30 hours. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean that's that's the funny thing, right? So that that's that it's not so much muscle fatigue. So they basically say muscle fatigue is not the problem anymore. So the problem becomes more like a yeah, mechanical yeah. problem, and then it's like this digestion, like accumulation of kind of stress on 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 your nutrition, and and of course the sleep matters. being sleep deprived is one of the biggest factors right at the end it's people running the wrong direction and completely forgetting what they're actually doing or supposed to do and and that this is kind of at the end getting to you and this is more like a function of the lack of sleep funnily so i
0: i haven't read too much about harry if he has been seeing any hallucinations but i would imagine he would after uh, 85 hours with was a uh, very limited amount of sleep,
1: but I must say, I mean, that that was fascinating. Also, like when Chris, even more than Harvey, came in, they were really still functioning so extremely well. They, I yeah. mean, they were chatting. I mean, Chris was like really giving interviews and and like talking, it very cohesive and, and everything. Absolutely, I mean, I was completely amazed. I would really expect them really to. Yeah, mumble and, and not make too much sense. Or ask a bunch of times uh, if the race is over or something. Like I was super surprised. And as I said, Harvey looked anyway, as if he could kind of do that for another day, if he would have had.
0: (laughs) And, and that's really what's amazing because you, you look at these guys and if it wasn't for Chris's knee and if more didn't fill the time he did. And the last four or five guys, I mean, you were looking at like, well, there's, there's there's basically no limits to these guys. It looks like from the way they're working right now, it looks like they could just keep going because it just enters some sort of rhythm where they can keep up the, the calorie intake and manage just about the right amount of sleep and, and everything is just basically just going on cruise control. I'm sure it w- didn't feel like way for, for them, but it really looks that way. Uh, even from a person who has actually been on the loop a few days earlier.
1: And, and how is recovery after a race like this? I mean, how long do you need to recover completely? And when do you think you're kind of back to your normal training
0: routine and nothing is aching anymore? It's... I was actually, didn't have any injuries. So it's just a matter of my stomach hurting and that was basically it, right? So I was actually surprised because I was tired and only for sure. But I felt like I was able to be running just a few days after. However, because we were driving to see my brother and then we were flying back home to Denmark at the Saturday after the race started. And so we were back home in Denmark by nine in the evening. And on Monday, I did a 11K, I think. So that was the last week. And then I did a 10K Friday afternoon as well on Threadmill. With a bit of elevation i just decided that this was such an, a unique experience that i need to get myself a memorial type of tattooing on my leg so i actually went down to get that done on wednesday so that's why i'm on the treadmill so i think i'll take this week more or less off as well from running to some extent or at least maybe just do like two three four short runs and then i think i'll slowly be i'm just Just getting adjusted to the colder weather in Denmark and it's being dark from nearly for when you leave for work and when you're back home as well. So it's just a matter of getting out of uh, that tipping point as well. But I was actually very surprised because I didn't feel smashed and bumped anywhere in in my body as I was expecting. And I mean, back in, in August when I was done with the 39 laps, and I mean, for sure, I did like 54 kilometers more back then. I was just completely smashed. I, I was just feeling so bad everywhere in my body and especially my knees. And even when I did go for a run afterwards, there, it just feels like my legs are just empty for energy and just heavy. And I haven't had the same experience. So I was a little surprised actually. So I have already been looking at this like, oh, well, what type of races could we be looking at in? <laughs> December or January for instance just to just to keep keep going for practicing but i think right now i'll uh, mainly be doing uh, some half marathon trailer runs as the race primarily and then most probably will fit in a half ma- or a full marathon or a shorter ultra run in in, in December or or January so do you have yeah.
1: like do you have data from the run like how much calories did you burn through like uh, the 39 39- the, Labs in, in Denmark?
0: One of the the, the the data points I actually can remember is I was tracking 39 hours. And back in Denmark, I was doing just shy of 35 hours in motion. So I think I had yeah. four hours of basically sitting or standing still when I was running in Denmark, which actually came by a surprise. But I had it quite easy in Denmark, which might sound crazy, but I was doing a lot of walking and I was mm-hmm. just having so much fun with the other guys. So my gaming tells me that I have burned 19,000 calories under 39 hours.
1: That would be fun to kind of visualize that in terms of McDonald's
0: menus or something like,
1: kind of like, just like what burger mountain you could eat. Uh, without what burger dating, mount, is yeah.
0: <laughs> so according to my, my gaming, it said Back then, when I am running in Denmark, I did six thousand six hundred meters of elevation hmm. during the loop, so it wasn't the easiest loop. And I think I got it right here.
1: No, I mean you did the Everest thing, right? So I mean you you're not shy of kind of doing uh, elevation, right? So
0: yeah, I mean even even though Denmark is wet, you are able to find some quite steep hills, and that's correct. A few uh, last year, I think. I did the Eleva- uh, ever resting event where we did like 130 Ks and doing the elevation of, of Everest, which was just amazingly hard, to be honest. No, actually I, I did 33 hours and 55 minutes of actual moving. So I had like five hours of not moving through those 39 hours, according mm-hmm. to my gunning. and I didn't stop the guy, uh, stop the watch at any time in, in, in the Danish race.
1: It sounds like more than it is, right? Because like if you chunk it up in this five to 15 minute blocks, I mean, it's, that's the problem, right? That uh, (laughs) if you would have like uh, every five hours, uh, half an hour break or something or an hour break, I think you could possibly last even longer because yeah, then you could really sleep half an hour and that would make uh, all the difference. But I think that this is, that's the fascinating part of this, this race that and the humans are not Formula One cars where you can just kind of plug in fuel yep. and <laughs> change the wires, the wheels, and everything. And that's yeah.
0: really where it's different from traditional ultra running, and e- even the long ultra running or even stage runs. So, I mean, if you have a long ultra run, so like say like two hundred miles or two hundred fifty miles, for instance, you can have a good break for like an hour or half an hour or even two hours if that's what you needed. But you cannot do this in a pack. It's just, I know a lot of guys who are very, very good and doing uh, crazy distances and they showed up the backyard and, and they did a few laps and I was like, yep, no, this isn't for me because I need huh. to be able to manage my breaks in a larger jumps actually.
1: Huh. Yeah. You can't completely do your own rhythm in that sense. You are forced yeah, to adjust to the, the rules of the race and it is an equalizer to some extent and that's the funny part about it. Yeah. Okay. So before I, I I let you enjoy your dinner, do you have one kind of secret ultra trail runner recipe like that nobody knows? I mean, we heard already about Danish bread for, for substance in between, but do you have one more like what is one can be gear, can be, can be nutrition, can be anything
0: like anything that's a well-kept secret. Oh, I'm not good at secrets, to be honest, because as you as you know by now, I love to be chatting about running. But, but I mean, a, a general advice would be if you're doing it, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and make sure that your motivation is on point. Sometimes I have people come to me saying, oh, I wanted to do a, a marathon. And then when we do the initial talk, better talking about the motivation, it quite often became, else once it became clear... They don't want to be doing it because they want to be running it they want to be doing it because their husband has told them that they need to be going exercising or everyone else is doing this and oh well that would be nice to be telling people i've been doing a marathon and i was like there's not there's not any bad type of motivation to reasons to be running a marathon for instance but just to make sure that it's important for you and and it comes from the inside because once you're out there and you're doing ultra running, there will be a lot of time when you'll be thinking, well, they're somehow doing this and, and then you need to really dig into yourself, look into yourself, seeing, so this is, this is why I'm doing it. Because if it's because your husband or your wife says, you need to be moving your ass out of the sofa, then it's then it's easy to tell, well, I've been doing this for, for the last 10 hours, now I'm going back to the sofa.
1: That's um, definitely... A good one. I mean, it comes the waves, right? I mean, marathons for a while, you just had to do it to post uh, on LinkedIn what you learned from it and why you're now
0: a better manager. Exactly, yeah. And it's perfectly fine if that's why you want to do it, but, but really get, get yourself a bit of time to reflect on why you are want to be doing this. And once you have the this why figured out, it's a hell of a lot easier to actually be doing it. And actually, I have one bonus one, but that's, that's generally a circle around the training. It's just consistency is key. Don't think that you can skip a training this week and just put an extra one in next week and then next week, then you're on vacation doing nothing at all. I mean, it's just be consistent in your training. That's what really will get you there. Absolutely.
1: Great. So I think I think we did it. Martin, (laughs) really like fun talking to you. And uh, as I said, I was uh, really fanboying out a little bit, like it was really fun to see you on the, on the trails. It was awesome to see you after the the race, after you dropped out uh, to see you still on Facebook, chatting with the people who were following the race. It was uh, great also to have like directly somebody kind of chiming in on the experience. Yeah, it was uh, really fun. And I'm, I can't wait to see you again in one of those races. And I will definitely follow this whole backyard elimination qualification uh, process till the next uh, World Championship. I think. I guess the best way to reach you if somebody wants to yeah get a little bit of personal training uh, from you is through your Lubitosa website. You also have the same handle for for Instagram. I will link everything in our show notes. I guess that's it. Do you have still any anything you want to share? Any any anything you we didn't cover or anything that people still need to know? Also, when they want to hire
0: you? No, I I think I'll just say thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I. I really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, as I said, I love chatting about about running and especially water running. So it's been amazing. And I'm very, very happy that you reached out to me and asked me if you wanted to join. That's cool.
1: Awesome. Then thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. This was Live Sparring, Round 16, Big Dogs, Backyard and the Ultra Mindset with guest Morten Lübetosse-Klingenberg and me, your host, Fabian Gruber. Life sparring is produced by Thomas Latter. Intro and outro beat are by my Casey producer. More infos about Life sparring and this episode, including links to our guests and resources mentioned in the show, you can find at lifespairing.com podcast podcast. Life sparring with a hyphen. If this show motivated you to go out for a run, give it a like wherever you're getting your podcast from and subscribe to not miss any future episodes. I hope you join us again for the next round of Lifespairing. Until then, stay healthy, keep your hands up and protect yourself at all times.